goes to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time now as we come to preaching and teaching of your word. Lord, we pray as your word is preached that you would touch our hearts and write the truth of your holy, inspired, and inerrant word on our hearts, Lord. Transform us today through your word and your spirit. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. We'll be looking at verses 15 through 25 today, closing out this uh, little, uh, little, little series, small series in the book of John, at the end of the book of John. Uh, if you don't have your Bibles with you, I invite, to, invite you to take one of the Pew Bibles there in front of you, and you can turn to page 853 in the Pew Bible. 853 in the Pew Bible. Then, if you do not have a Bible, then I want to invite you to take that Bible with you, and uh, that's our gift to you. We want you to have a copy of God's Word, so please take that as our gift to you today. John chapter 21, verses 15 through 25. We're going to work through this this morning instead of reading it. We'll work through it to kind of save us some a little time. I always enjoy having Tracy here with us. Uh, playing for us. I noticed as Tracy came in today, uh, he has my favorite guitar of his. He has several, but that's my favorite, uh, the Gibson Les Paul with the, the starburst front on it, and I just love that guitar. I love hearing uh, the Gibson played. It has a very unique sound, unlike any other uh, guitar out there. It's very unique. It just has a nice, rich tone to it. I love that guitar. And so when you, when you look into the world of guitars, though, there are, there's Gibsons, and then there are many Im- imitations out there. Give me that slide there. See, uh, there's many imitations, and there's a, a picture. There's the Gibson Les Paul, and then right next to it is the best imitation on the market. It's actually a, a small company of Gibson. It's called the Epiphone Les Paul. Now, it's as close to a Gibson Les Paul as you can get, but it's not a Les Paul. It's an imitation. You see, a Gibson is made uh, in America by master craftsmen. They, they tone them out. They, they make them out by hand. They're tested for quality. They're made of absolutely the best wood that they can find, and it has the best electronics that, that you can buy. It's a wonderful guitar, and when you hear that guitar played, it just has a unique sound all its own. Now, the Epiphone, it's close. It's close. It's like the great value of of Gibson guitars. It's it's close, right? It looks, you can see there, it looks just like the Gibson. If you could look at the headstock, that's really the only uh, visual thing that you can really tell uh, that's different about the two. But... The Epiphone is not made with the quality that the Gibson is made with. It's made overseas in a, a factory where, where people are just like slapping them together as fast as they can. They want to produce them and get them out the door. It's made with uh, subpar wood. And it's made with uh, much less quality electronics. 
And so when you hear it played, now to an untrained hearer, you might say, oh, well, that sounds pretty good. But for someone who, who knows the tone of that Gibson, it's just not there. It's just not the same. You see, there's the real thing. There's the real Gibson, and then there's the imitation. And the imitation may look like the real thing. It may have some of the qualities of the real thing, but it's really not the real thing. And when you look at it closely, when you inspect it closely, you can see that the imitation is just not the real thing. You know, even in church, there are a lot of imitation Christians. There's people who come to church, they, they, they know the part, right? They, they look like a Christian. They know the language. They can sound pretty much like a Christian. But when you begin to look at their life and inspect their life, you've come to find out they're really not a Christian. They're an imitation. There are many in the church today who are imitation Christians. Today, as we, we look at our text today, we see the character of real Christians. We see the character of a real Christian. Jesus points that out to us today in our texts. And so as we begin to look at this text, we're going to see here today that a real Christian is wholly devoted to Jesus. A real Christian is wholly devoted to Jesus. Now, as we get into John chapter 21 and our text, starting in verse 15, you remember last week we, we started this kind of episode, this scene, where Jesus is coming to his disciples. He's appearing to his disciples for the third time. And we had the whole fishing thing last week, and then they came ashore, and Jesus, we kind of ended with Jesus cooking breakfast for them. And so we're picking up today with Jesus. They're kind of finishing up breakfast, and Jesus has a lesson for Peter. And as he teaches Peter this lesson, he has a lesson, lesson for us as well. So today, as we look at this, we're going to see four characteristics of a real Christian. Four characteristics of a real Christian. And so as we consider these four characteristics of a real Christian, I want you to judge yourself. I want you to judge yourself. I want you to hear these characteristics, and I want, to, I want you to ask the question of yourself, is that me? And if these characteristics don't exemplify you, if these aren't characteristics that you have, Dear friend, I just ask you to question, are you a Christian or are you an imitation? Are you the real deal or are you an imitation? And get it right today, friend. Get it right. Don't leave here an imitation. But make sure you leave here today a real, authentic Christian. So let's begin to look at this then. The first characteristic of a real Christian that we see here in our text is that a real Christian loves Jesus more than anyone or anything else. A real Christian loves Jesus more than anyone or anything else. Let's look at our text starting in verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, said to him feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. 
He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Let's stop right there. What we're seeing here in this scene is we're seeing the restoration of Peter. Peter, if you remember, if you recall, Peter, when on the night that Jesus was arrested, and this is just two or three weeks prior to what we're, we're seeing here today, what we're reading about here today, Peter, on the night that Jesus was arrested, he, he had told Jesus, hey, I will go and I will die with you, Jesus. I will be by your side no matter what. I will go and I will die with you if that's what's needed. And Jesus said, no, tonight, uh, this very night, you will deny me three times. And sure enough, Peter, when Jesus was arrested, when he was confronted by opposition, he denied Jesus three times. And now we have this, the resurrected Jesus is coming to Peter to restore him. And so he asked him the three times, Peter, do you love me? Now, the first time, Peter was, you know, clueless, most likely clueless. Peter, do you love me? Well, well, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Now he's getting a little irritated. Well, why are you asking me again? Oh, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Well, tend my sheep. And then the third time, Peter, do you love me? Now it hits Peter. It grabs his heart. He knows what's going on. He remembers, I just denied the Lord three times that I knew him, and now the Lord is reaffirming that I love him. Peter, do you love me? And he's grieved in his heart. He's pulling at him. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. You see, the key thing here is love. The key thing here, the emphasis of the text is love. He is confirming with Peter, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And that's the same question they ask us here today. Do you love me? Do you love me more than anything else in the world? Do you love me more than anyone? Do you love me? This is the same thing that he, he emphasizes in other places in Scripture. Uh, he overs, uh, in, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, he puts it like this. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Luke puts it more emphatically. Luke chapter 14, verse 26 says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life cannot be my disciple. If you don't hate all of those in comparison to your love to me, you are not worthy to be my disciple, Jesus says. Now, Jesus doesn't mean here literally that you hate other people. That's not what he's saying here. In fact, his great, great command, right, right, is to love others, to love one another and love others, love your neighbor as yourself. That's the second great commandment. And so he's not here saying literally hate father, mother, daughter, son, wife, brother, and sister. 
But what he is saying is that in comparison to your love for me, your love for your wife, your love for your mom and your dad, your love for your children should look like hate in comparison to your love for me. Let me explain how this looks. What if your, your spouse comes to you and says to you, well, I'm tired of you and your religion. I'm tired of you always going to church all the time and, and leaving me at home. Uh, You've got a choice to make. It's either me or Jesus. Who do you pick? You better pick Jesus. You better pick Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who died on the cross for you. Jesus is the one who gave himself for you. Jesus is the one who created you, who gives you breath and life every single day. You better pick Jesus. You see, we have to love Jesus. If you're a Christian, a real Christian, loves Jesus more than anything else. Jesus is a priority. Jesus takes second fiddle to no one. He is either the, on top or he is nothing. You either love Jesus or you're not a Christian. You either love him more than anything or anyone else, or you're not his. Scripture is clear on that. Scripture is absolutely clear on that. Jesus doesn't play second seat. You either love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He is either your first love or he's not your love at all. A real Christian loves Jesus more than anyone or anything else. Let me tell you, dear friend, put Jesus first. Put Jesus first. Let go of anything that takes priority over Jesus. Let it go. Cling to Jesus. He's the only eternal Savior, and He is the only one who promises you eternal life. And he gives you that eternal life at the cost of his own life. He died. He died for you. That's how he showed his love for you. Jesus must be your first love. A real Christian loves Jesus more than anyone or anything else. Second, a real Christian loves Jesus' church. A real Christian loves Jesus' church. Look what he tells Peter there. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, tend my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep. Now, the sheep, that's the church. That's who Jesus is talking about there. He is telling Peter. Now, Peter is a pastor. He has been commissioned by God to, to plant churches and to be a pastor, to be a leader within a church, to, to preach the gospel and teach the gospel to the church. And so he tells Peter, Peter, if you love me, you've got to love my church. Peter, if you love me, you're going to show your love for me by loving my church, by pouring into my church. You're a pastor. You're going to feed them the word of God. You're going to tend to them because, because cheap or, or prone to wonder, you're going to tend to them. You're going to make sure that they hold to, to doctrinal truth. You're going to teach them well, uh, and you're going to guide them into truth. 
If you love me, you're going to love my sheep. You're going to love my church. You're going to care for my church. You know, this really hits home for me as a pastor, as an under-shepherd. Jesus is the great shepherd. Peter's an under-shepherd. I'm called to be an under-shepherd. That's why I, I spend time week after week preparing messages and sermons that I pray are true to God's Word because I want to feed you. But this applies to each and every one of us, whether you're a preacher or teacher or not. It applies to every member of the church. God has called you and gifted you with unique gifts to be used in the body of the church for the edification of the church. You don't just have to be a preacher or a teacher to pour into the life of the church. If you're a Christian, if you love Jesus, you love the church and you pour yourself into the church. You invest your time, your money, your energies, your gifts, your talents into the church because you love what Jesus loves. And Jesus loves the church. I can't stand it when someone says, well, I... I love Jesus. I really like this Jesus guy, but I can't stand his church. No! Absolutely not. If you don't love the church, you don't love Jesus. You can't love Jesus. Ephesians chapter 6 says, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved, what? The church and gave himself up for her. The church is the bride of Christ. To say, I love Jesus, but I, I can't stand the church, that's like telling me, I love you, pastor, but I can't stand your wife. That doesn't work. She's part of me. If you love me, you love her. If you don't love her, you don't love me. The same thing goes for God's Christ's church. You don't love the church, you don't love Christ. Love the church, love what Christ loves. Pour yourself into the church. Real Christians love those whom Jesus loves. A true Christian loves Jesus' church. So a real Christian, dear friend, if you're a real Christian, you, you need to be pouring yourself into the life of the church. That means you want to be with the church. You want to be here. You want to be here assembled with the body of believers because you love the church. And people come in and out, in and out all the time. Uh, they're here one week, gone three. They don't love the church. I'm sorry, but you don't love the church. Someone who loves the church is here. I want to be with the church. Man, if I'm gone for a week, I, it kills me. I want to be with my church. This is my family. A real Christian loves the church and wants to be with the church. A real Christian pours him or, self, him or herself into the life of the church. You're there serving. Where do I need to get involved? Where do I need to, to find my place to serve the body of believers so that the whole body functions like it's supposed to function? What can I do to show my love for the church. Real Christians love Jesus' church. They're involved. They pour themselves into the church. 
You can't love Jesus and not love his church. So a real Christian loves Jesus more than anyone or anything else. A real Christian loves Jesus' church. And third, a real Christian accepts the cost of following Jesus. Now note that. A real Christian accepts the cost of following Jesus. Notice what he says there in verse 18 and 19. Truly, truly, I say to you, he's talking to Peter, remember. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And John includes this little note in verse 19. This he said to show by what kind of death he, Peter, was to glorify God. After saying this, he said to him, follow me. He's telling Peter, Peter, here's how you're going to die for me. Here's how you're going to serve me in death. There's going to be a time when you were young, you dressed yourself, you were free to go wherever you wanted to go, but, but there's coming a day, Peter, and somebody else is going to dress you. They're going to take you where you do not want to go, and they're going to stretch your arms out, and they're going to crucify you. And church history tells us that Peter was indeed crucified in Rome as a martyr to the Lord Jesus Christ true Christian counts the cost of following Jesus. No matter what, Peter, uh, John, Jesus tells Peter, you're going to die for me, but guess what? I'm going to tell you, nevertheless, follow me. Yes, you're going to die a gruesome death. Yes, you're going to be crucified just as I was crucified. You're going to be crucified. Nevertheless, follow me. Count the cost and follow me, a real Christian, accepts the cost of following Jesus. Now understand, for most of us, or most likely all of us, unless something drastically changes, uh, most of us will not have to, to die for Jesus. Unless something changes here in America, and, and things are changing, but unless something dramatically changes, most likely none of us will have to die for Jesus. Like Peter had to die for Jesus, but nevertheless, you're called to pay the cost. To count the cost and accept the cost of following Jesus. What does that look like for us today? Well, here's how it looks. Uh, when we follow Jesus, let me tell you, we're going to be out of step with the world. The world has a certain way of doing things. The world accepts all kinds of things. But Jesus says, here's my way. And when we follow Jesus' way, we're going to be out of step with the world. In fact, Scripture says that friendship with the world is enmity with God. If you're friends with the world, then you're an enemy of God. And so, dear friend, if you're a true Christian, if you're a real Christian, you are going to be out of step with the world. That means the world is not going to like you. They're going to talk bad about you. They're going to put you down. They're going to say nasty things. Oh, you bigot you hypocrite, you idiot, you fool. 
How could you believe such nonsense? To be out of, to be in step with God, to be a follower of Jesus Christ, is to be out of step with the world. That means you must bear ridicule for following Jesus. Let me give you an example. In our world today, sexual immorality is the norm. It's expected in our world. It's expected. Our world expects our teenagers to have sex before they're married. Our world condones it. Our world even promotes it. But I want you to hear what the Word of God says. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, be imitators of God. Christian, be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality, that is uh, sex outside of marriage, pornography, any kind of sexual perversion, all of that. He says sexual immorality and all impurity, that's every other kind of immorality, or covetousness, that's a, a lust for material things, must not even be named among you, church, as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking. Don't tell the dirty joke by the, by the water cooler. Which are out of place among the church. That's out of place among the church. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure that of this, that everyone, notice this, everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. To be in step with God. To be a follower of Jesus Christ means to be out of step with the world. The world says, celebrate it! Celebrate it! Praise! Whoa, yes! Do it! If it feels good, go do it! Celebrate it! Have fun with it! God says, not in my kingdom. Not in my kingdom. Real Christians bear the cost of following Jesus. And they bear the ridicule. They bear the shame that the world throws at them. And they walk with Jesus. Real Christians love Jesus more than anyone or anything else. A real Christian loves Jesus, loves Jesus' church. A real Christian accepts the cost of following Jesus. And finally, a real Christian follows Jesus with determined focus. A real Christian follows Jesus with determined focus. Peter then turns, verse 20, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. That's the apostle John. The one who, had, who was also uh, had leaned back against Jesus during the supper and said, Lord, who is it? that is going to betray you. And when Peter saw him there, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it, if it is my will 
that he remains until I come. What is that to you? You follow me. A real Christian follows Jesus with determined focus. John, Peter looks back at John and says, what about him? You tell me, I'm going to go die for you. I'm going to go be crucified. What about him, Jesus? What does Jesus say? Don't worry about him. He's in my hands. I've got the path determined for him. You worry about you and you follow me. You know, one of our greatest problems is that uh, we oftentimes, we look at the other person and say, well, what about them? Look at what they're doing. They're, they're not doing this or they are doing that or, or what about them? Or, or we look at some other ministry, some other church and we say, uh, well, well, look at, I wish we had that going. I wish we could do that. And we're always worried about someone else. And Jesus says, don't you worry about everyone else. You worry about what I've got for you. You follow me. You do my will. The will that I have for your life. A real Christian doesn't worry about everyone else doesn't get involved in ministry envy and all of those other things, but a real Christian looks to Jesus, I'm following you. Wherever you call me to go, whatever you call me to do, Lord Jesus, I'm following you. You are my king. You are my shepherd. I follow you. Jesus is clear Examine yourself. Examine yourself. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5 says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you unless, notice this, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Dear friend, examine yourselves. Are you a real Christian? Are you a real Christian? Do you have the characteristics of a real Christian that Scripture gives to us? It displays for us. It says, here it is. If you're a Christian, here it is. Here's what you look like. Are you a real Christian or are you an imitation? A real Christian is wholly devoted to Jesus. Are you a real Christian or an imitation? Only real Christians will inherit the kingdom of God. Only real Christians will inherit the kingdom of God. No imitators in heaven. We ask you today, search your own heart. Examine your own life. What do you find? Are these characteristics evident in your life? Oh, maybe you could be better. Maybe you could see. And, and there's that. We, we grow in our faith. I, I don't want to say that you're going to, as soon as you're saved, you're going to be Mr. You know, Paul, like the Apostle Paul, chief of the saints, right? You're not going to jump there. There's maturity. There's time for growth. You, you, certainly all of us can be better. We will be better. But do you see these characteristics in you? Are they there? Are you just playing a game? Are you talking the talk and, and, and dressing the dress and all of that, but inside there's darkness. 
Are you a real Christian? The answer is yes, celebrate. Praise God for your salvation. If you're not today, repent. Turn away from going your own way and turn to Jesus. Follow Jesus. He'll save you. He'll make these characteristics come alive in you. You'll just take that one step toward him. Turn around. Follow Jesus. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for gracing us with this, the image of a real Christian, Lord, that we can look at ourselves and examine ourselves by your word and have that assurance that we know, that we know, that we know. Lord, I just pray today, if there's any here whom they have been pierced by what's said here today, and they're out of step, and they need to, to turn to you and give themselves to you, Lord, open their hearts and let them see Jesus. Let them turn today. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.